And everybody said, Praise the Lord. Remain standing right where you are for just a second. There is a wild Holy Ghost spirit loose in this house. And when I get in that kind of an environment, I become dangerous. Now, I was sitting over there during church. And this totally was not in my prepared text. But all of you that know me know that I am the most eager, excited, proud, thrilled grandfather in the world. It's hard to top me as a grandfather. But my eagerness has at times exceeded my intelligence. I was thinking as I was sitting on the platform, I remember when my grandson was about six and my granddaughter was about four and a half and we were riding through town, the little town there right outside of Raleigh and there was a little carnival kind of thing that had come to town with kiddie rides and and little amusement thing for the kids. And I said, hey, y'all want to go over there? And I took them. Now, what was a little over the top that I didn't realize was there was this ghost house, a spook house. And there's a little cart that you get in, a little roller coaster thing just goes around. So you're around a curve and there's something scary there. Go around another curve and there's something scary there. I had no idea of the intensity of these people's idea of scaring kids. I thought it was just a little old thing that they would laugh at, you know. And Well, when we made the final turn, I was sitting in the last little car behind the grandkids. And Huntley was sitting in front of me, Christiana. And we made that last little turn and the thing leveled out. Huntley looked over my shoulder and I didn't know they were going to do this. There was a real man dressed as a spook like a ghost standing on the back of that cart riding out with us now that's too much for a six year old a five year old and whatever age I was but when that thing leveled out Huntley jumped out of that cart and I still see him running across that yard I mean he was gone and when I look back I had no idea that was going to be there I said this for this purpose. I feel that something's going to... Wait till I get through now. Something is going to go home with you that is going to be so spectacular and so powerful. I hope it doesn't scare you. The exceptional, powerful, anointing placed upon a speaker is never granted by God for his personal acknowledgement, aggrandizement, or personal advancement. But the anointing that comes upon a chosen vessel of God is always put there for the benefit, the blessing, and the betterment of those he is ministering to. 
And so with that in place, I tonight would like to summon the accumulative anointing that has been mightily manifested upon each speaker and is upon every chosen vessel of God in this auditorium tonight to be released now and not only break every yoke, but destroy every yoke that limits, restricts, and prohibits the full potential of every ministry from being obtained. So what we're going to do right now is this. We're going to loose an unprecedented anointing. An anointing for progress. An anointing for fruitfulness. An anointing for spiritual productivity. All of that will be accomplished through the power of the name, the power of the blood, and the spirit of Jesus Christ To whom all glory will be given. I ask you right now to lift your voice. And declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Over every binding factor in your ministry. Over every circumstance. Over every situation. And when you get home. You're going to see yokes broken. You're going to see yokes not just broken, but you're going to see yokes destroyed. Lift your voice and claim it right now. Lay your hand on somebody and say, In the name of Jesus. Destroy every yoke in the name of Jesus. I destroy every barrier in the name of Jesus. I destroy every fetter. Clap your hand now and be free to be all that God wants you to be. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Lord. I invite you in your Bibles to Genesis 49. As we respect the time and move fully into the will of the Lord. Genesis 49. And we will begin reading with verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Judah, of Israel. And this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them every one according to his blessing. He blessed them and he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. Notice now. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, 
There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And there I buried Leah. I preach to you tonight on this subject. He came to love her late. He came to love her late. Give the Lord a great big hand clap right now, would you? And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. In drama and in life, we are taught that entrances are brief, but exits are eternal. In other words, it's not how you come on the stage, but rather it's how you leave it. We must not adopt the message of the oft-repeated old song. Que sera, sera. Thank you. One more time. The old song said, whatever will be, will be. I rise to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. We must tonight take ownership of our futures. The author of life's story penned the initiation and he set the narrative in course. But now he has placed the pen into your hand to be the author of its concluding chapters. To finalize it as you will. You've got the pen in your hand. You will write the conclusion of this matter. Will it be defeat or victory? Bitter or sweet? Loser or winner? Villain or hero? Break down or breakthrough? Burn out or burn on? Humiliation or celebration? And somebody said it like this. If it is to be, It is up to me. Therefore I reply the words of Micah in 7 and 8. Rejoice not against me. Oh mine enemy. For when I fall I shall arise. I want to remind you that Jesus Christ was buried in a borrowed tomb. Now, you don't borrow tombs. The only thing stronger than borrowing a tomb is loaning one. Allow me now to understand that evidently Joseph of Arimathea had just had his six-month checkup. And Joseph said, all I have to do is live three days. It's my tomb. 
But if I live three days, I believe he's the Messiah and I will get it back. Jesus did not need to purchase a tomb. You borrow shotguns and cars and golf clubs. But you don't borrow tombs. But Jesus borrowed a tomb because he did not need to purchase one. Because it wasn't going to be a long term situation. It was only going to be three days and three nights and he was coming up. I rise to preach to you tonight. Quit borrowing stuff that God wants to be. Quit buying stuff that God wants to be temporary. You may be sick, but don't buy that. You may be down, but don't buy that. You may be in reverse, but don't buy that. You may not be where you want to go, but don't buy that. You may have to borrow it. But let hell know this is not permanent. This is just temporary. We're coming out of here. We're moving on. Clap your hands and shout yes. Paul challenged the Ephesians with a most unique verse in Ephesians 4 and 26. And he said, let not your wrath or the sun go down Upon your wrath. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. The sun going down has always typified the ending of a day. What Paul was telling the church is this. You may have conflicts. You may have contradictions. But don't let the day end that way. Dawn may have found you disappointed discouraged or disillusioned. You may have nearly succumbed and surrendered at noon due to the searing, scorching rays of intense problems with no answers, pressures with no relief, prophecies unfulfilled. But I am sent to remind the devil and to remind you that the sun has not yet gone down. It's late, but it is not too late. I want you to know that the sun has not set on your potential, your possibility. The sun hadn't gone down yet. I said the sun had gone down on our backsliders coming back. The sun has not gone down on our prayers being answered. The prayer has not gone down yet on the revival that you are praying for. There's still time to have a heaven-sent, hell-shaken, city-wide, Holy Ghost revival. Reach over and lay your hand on somebody and say, Your son hadn't gone down yet. And I refuse to let the sun go down in defeat. Joshua, with an incomplete victory over the Amorites, made history when he demanded the sun to stand still, thou upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. What a boldness 
What a desperation. My victory is not complete. I'm not through with my adversary. I had not got all the victory I want. Don't you move a bit. You stay where you are. Because I can't let the sun go down with a partial victory. But now this is what was powerful. The Bible said he said it in the sight of all Israel. He stepped out where everybody could see him. And he said, son, stay where you are. And moon, don't you make a move in the sight of all of Israel. He said, I hadn't gotten my victory yet, but I'm not going to let it end like this. I'm not going to let the sun go down without me having my complete victory. I wish somebody would jump up right in the midst of all of Israel and said, I hadn't got yet all I'm going to get. I haven't had the revival I'm going to have. I haven't seen the victory I'm going to see. I haven't seen the miracle ministry I'm going to receive. You stay where you are. Now Joshua said, son, stand thou still. I won't let you go down. And a blind man said, son, stand still. When Jesus was passing by, blind Bartimaeus cried out. And the Bible said they told him to be quiet. And the scripture said, he cried the more, even a great deal louder. I appreciate what you've done here tonight with the voice of praise in this assembly. Because there is a move to calm the wind and put out the fire and silence the noise. But did you know that Barnabas got healed? For crying out loud. Bartimaeus got a miracle. For crying out loud. It may be you're just a few hallelujahs from your revival. You may be just a few hallelujahs from your healing. But you're going to have to cry out loud. Cry out loud. Samson cried, it can't end this way. Bound, blind, going round and round. The enemy had taken his liberty. The the enemy had taken his vision. And the enemy had taken his direction. If there's three things the adversary wants to strip from your ministry, it's your liberty... It's your vision and it's your direction. But Samson said, it ain't going to end like this. I'm not going to let it be the final chapter of my life. And so he screamed out, oh God, just once more, strengthen me and avenge me. And remember me. And the Bible said although it was late. His miracle was not lost. 
And he got more in his final victory than he did in his entire life. Hey, we're getting ready to see more in just a little while than you've seen in your whole life. Somebody shout, it's late, but it's not too late. I said it's late, but it's not too late. As long as God is still alive and you believe him, it's absolutely not too late. Martha said, even now, even now, even now, it doesn't matter where you've been, what's going on, I say, even now. Now. So it was a normal day. I had just come home. I was scheduled to preach the Kansas camp meeting started the next night. This was on a Tuesday. I kicked my shoes off. Was sitting in the living room talking to Patsy. And just catching up on what's going on before I went to the church. And both of us heard a smack. And I said, did you hear that? She said, yes, I heard it. I said, maybe the wind just blew the the screen door on the back porch open and slammed it. She said, well, I'll walk back there and I'll just see. She walked down the back porch and then she screamed. Oh, God, Wayne, our house is on fire. And so I just heard fire. I didn't know it was in the field, but I certainly didn't think it was our house. And I jumped up and ran outside. And the side of the house was in flames. It was burning from the outside. I ran around the porch, tried to get the water faucet on to the water hose, And Patsy was screaming, hurry, hurry, hurry. I said, I can't get it on. I can't get it on. The fire captain told me it was an electrical fire. If I would have stood with a hose and shot water on that fire, I would not be preaching here tonight. He said, you would have immediately been electrocuted. I couldn't get it on. So you can't stand there and watch your house burn. So there was a rug on the back porch. I grabbed the rug and just started fighting the fire. I mean, it was crazy, but you, you got to do something. And I had my nose right on it and I was fighting. And Pat said, get away from there. It's too hot. You're not doing anything of value. And we were screaming, dial 911, dial 911. I left my fire, my phone in the fire. She had brought hers out. And she's trying to dial 911. How many know that's real tough? Well, it is when your house is on fire. And she's going, Oh, God, Wayne, I can't do it. I looked at the phone. She had L, 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 M, 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 M. I can't get it to work. I ran down to a mobile home that's on our yard and told my 
Netanyahu. I said, dial 911. The house is on fire. I got back and she had called. And so we just backed up in the yard. And I said, it's gone, Patsy. There's nothing we can do. I put my arm around her and I held her while she cried. And we watched 30 years disappear in three hours. It seemed like it took the fire trucks forever to get there. We did a video and we timed it. It took 10 minutes for them to get there. The fire captain had been to our church on occasion. He said, when he rounded the corner, he said, he told me, he said, I, I said, oh God, don't let that be Pastor Huntley's house. Because he knew the basic area was coming. And so in just a few minutes, it was totally out of control. And this is what it looked like before the firefighters got there. You can hear the fire trucks arriving. And we were sitting right where the flames are, initially. And I'll show you a couple other pictures here. That's someone took that from the front. This was a house that God gave us. My wife stood on the back porch of that house with Sister Mickey go there, and they cried and spoke in tongues, and God gave us that house. We were both raised terribly poor. And every time we'd drive down that driveway, I would remind her the same old thing. I'd say, you know what? One day the guy that owns this place is going to show up and throw us out. (laughs) I just never could accept that that's where we lived. And it went that fast. We were expecting and looked like a total massacre. But God didn't have a massacre in mind. He had a miracle. Because I will share with you this simple equation that I learned from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is it. You will never see four until you see fire. It will always be just three until you see the fire. But when you get in the fire, you're going to find the fourth man with you. When you're in your trial, when you're in your tribulation, when you're in your struggle, rest assured, somewhere in there is the fourth man waiting to greet you. And this is what's so exciting. When you come out, you're going to be missing something. Because they threw them in bound. But when they came out, they were free. Your trial is not to kill you. Your storm is not to destroy you. It's to set you free. And so we adopted our theme song. Out of the ashes we rise. 
that's our theme song. This isn't going to be permanent. This is not us. This is not what God had in mind for us. And let me tell you what. It's not what the devil had in mind. Because before this is all over, he'll wish he'd left that house alone. And so when we got outside, I kind of got myself calmed a little bit. I took Patsy's phone, and I made two phone calls. The house is blazing. And I tried to, we don't have but one child. And I'm sorry. I've always tried to be Superman to her. When I had a heart attack, my wife told me, Christy's getting ready to come in this room. I was getting ready to go into surgery. And I had a tear on my cheek. I felt it. And I said, Christy's going to be here in a minute. Wipe that tear off my face. She wiped it off. Christy came in. Hey, baby. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So we just made up our mind. We're going to come out of these ashes. And we will rise. And so I called Christy, and I got myself under composure, and I said, Hello, Christy. (laughs) Hey, baby. Hey, pretty girl. That's what I always say. Hey, pretty girl. Hey, Daddy. I said, Honey, hear me carefully. Your mother and I are fine. That's the good news. We are fine. But our house is burning down. We're barefooted. All the clothes we have is on our back. So I called my best friend, Brother Foster. I have the opinion that best friends should not hear things through the rumor mill. And I didn't want somebody calling me and say, hey, did you know Wayne's house on fire? So I said, Mark, uh, Patsy and I are fine. <laughs> But (laughs) our house is burning down. And the traffic has stopped on both ends of our road. There's ambulances, there's fire trucks, there's firemen, there's news media. It's just wild. People from the church are running, they're crying, they're crying. My sister-in-law comes up and she's about to have a nervous breakdown. (laughs) And, And Patsy and I are just sitting there watching it burn. And so my phone is gone. While I'm watching the fire burn, I get a phone call. Patsy said, Wayne, it's Anthony Mangan. Hey, Brother Mangan. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> 
He said, and I'm not going to ham this up. This is the way it happened. My God, my God, my God. He said, oh, God, Wayne. I'm watching the house burn. He said, oh, my God. Oh, this is revival. He said, God's getting ready to give you a message. Oh, my God. You're going to preach it to your church. It's going to shake your church. It'll shake North Carolina. It's going to shake because of the time. And I said, my house is burning. Now, he claims, and I believe him, he's never given a message in tongues or interpreted. But he is a prophet. You got to know how much this God that we serve loves you. I mean, before the fireman left the ground, God had already let us know it's all right. I'm not going to let you worry about this. It's all right. God was saying, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And he said, oh God. And I'm thinking, burn, baby, burn. I didn't want a half burn up house. Bring her on down. And he's going, revival because of the times. <laughs> now he says, well, I, I believe him. This church doesn't live in BOTT speed year round. But he does. <laughs> 365, 24 7. My God, because of the time. My God, revival. You're going to be blessed by this. And then he says, Have you ever heard the sermon about Leah? Firemen running everywhere. Water hoses. Oxygen tanks beeping. One team comes out. Another team comes in. Have you ever heard about Leah? Because of the times. 365. 24-7. He comes down every once in a while and gets a biscuit. And then he's back to B-O-T-T. Meet Leah. 
This is your Leah. You're having a Leah moment. It's a Leah encounter. It's not what you want. But it's fixing to bless you. God is my witness. My wife is my witness. We hang up. Fifteen minutes later or so, the fire captain says, Pastor Huntley, Pastor Huntley, the Red Cross just arrived. And they'd like for you and your wife and family to come in to their mobile unit. They want to tell you what they can do for you. They're going to help you, Pastor. So we walk in. Patsy and myself, Brian and Christy are there by now. We walk in to the unit and they start telling us, now we can get you to go to this store and get clothes and we can get you to go to that store and get clothes and uh, we have all this stuff ready for you. We'll help you. We're going to take care of you. If you need psychiatric help, If you need a counselor, I said, ma'am, I, I really don't mean to be ungrateful and unthankful, but I am the counselor. <laughs> and I said, as far as these things that you're offering me, please take them and give them to somebody else that might need them. I have a worldwide network. We're going to be fine. And I pause to thank this wonderful body of Christ. The most humbling part of all of this is I wear a suit that somebody bought for me tonight. These shoes were bought for me. What's the black gentleman that's out here at church? John Russell. These shoes were bought for me by John Russell. Are you here tonight, Brother Russell? There he is. I'm wearing your shoes tonight. I didn't have any shoes. There he is, a wrong guy. Right there. I saw a guy, I guess he's praising the Lord back there. I don't... John Russell was preaching in North Carolina, and Brother Barnum brought him to my house the next day, and all, I, I didn't have any shoes. And John said, We're going to go buy you some shoes. He bought me some shoes, he bought me some suits. He conferred with Pastor Mangan. It's, it's humbling. And I could tell about all of you that prayed or sent money or called. It was overwhelming. Don't ever let anybody talk bad about this United Pentecostal Church. When you have your fire, you're going to find out how wonderful this body is. When you have your struggle, you're going to find out. And so, we're in the little mobile unit. And I'm not cooperating with the lady very much. See, this is her first night to be the leader of the group. It's her first job. And she, she's upset, kind of, because I'm not... I'm not Helping her out here. God is my witness. I said, ma'am, thank you, but we really don't need anything. 
She said, okay, I understand. She said, but can I, can I tell you one thing? Can I tell you my name? She said, my name is Leah. minutes into the fire the prophecy has already come to pass she said my name is Leah I about left that unit I, I calmed it down see those clothes that's all we had barefooted both of us I said can we take a picture with you she said oh yeah that'd be great I said do you know that Leah is a Bible name? Oh yeah, my mom and dad told me that when they named me. That my, na- my name was in the Bible. Fifteen minutes after he said, you're going to meet Leah. Fifteen minutes after he said, this is going to be Leah in your life. You think it's something very ugly. But it's going to turn out to be something absolutely beautiful. And I don't have time to tell you all the beautiful things that God has already done. But I want you to know when it came time for Jacob to be buried at the end of his life, it wasn't the lovely Rachel that he wanted to be buried beside. It was the ugly Leah. It wasn't the desired Rachel. It was the disdained Leah. It wasn't the Rachel that was the wow. It was the Leah that was the why. With Leah, his dream had become a nightmare. And you may be thinking your dream has become a nightmare. But if you live long enough at the end of your life, you're going to find out that Leah is the lovely. Rachel was just buried somewhere alongside the road. Leah, he charged his sons, bury me in the cave of Machpelah. For there they buried Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. And he said, and there I buried Leah. Put me beside Leah, I choose to not be buried beside what was beautiful in my life. Bury me beside that which I thought to be ugly. That which was the unwanted. That which was the rejected. That which was the resented. That which I despised. That which I disdained. That which seemed to be a nightmare. But now I realize what I thought was ugly has given me twice what the beautiful thing did. It's not the beautiful things in your life that are going to eventually bless you. It's the ugly things. But 
But the tragedy of Jacob was he came to love her late. I want you to leave because of the times and wrap your arms around your problems. And wrap your arms around your obstacles. And wrap your arms. See, if there was, I learned this in life. If, if there is any part of your life that you would really like to rewrite and leave out of your life, the part that you would probably leave out is the part that has made you what you are. The great God of glory pinned the initiation. But he put the pen in your hand to write how you want this to end. I remember as a child laying in bed at night listening to a drunken brawling father with a butcher knife to my mother's neck threaten to kill her. She'd serve a meal. He'd wrap it wrong. Swipe it right off the table into the floor. Throw windows, throw chairs through the windows. The police would be at our house to settle the dispute. But I remember laying in my bed as a young boy and praying, God, if you will get me out of this and if you will give me a chance, I promise you, It will not end this way. Somebody's got to stand up to your battle, to your genetic propensity, to your DNA, to your inherited problems, and say that was then, this is now, and it's not going to end that way. Your church may be small, but it's not going to end that way. You may be battling right now, but it's not going to end that way. You may have just a few folk, but it ain't going to end that way. Rise up and shout, we're going to have revival. We're going to be blessed. We're going to have a move of God. It may be late, but it's not too late. Turn around and somebody say, it's late. But it's not too late. It was Christmas Day this year in Raleigh. My daughter... Son-in-law and our grandkids, every year at Christmas, they join the Ballesteros clan. You see, when my daughter married Brian Ballesteros, shortly after they were married, I said, Brian, you have ruined my life. 
Isn't that a wonderful word from a happy father-in-law? And I said, wait a minute. Maybe, just maybe, you have saved my soul. He's looking at me like, what is going on? Because Brian Ballesterel is kin to 75% of Pentecost. (laughs) And I can't talk about anybody. It's his relatives. (laughs) I said, you just healed me from gossiping. That boy's kin to everybody. I could ask people to stand here tonight. You'd be surprised who he's kin to. Right here in this building right now. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. He healed me. So at Christmas, they always go to the Ballesteral clan. They call it the Christmas house. And it's a wonderful time. They invite us to come. I don't go. They begged me to come. I don't go. And I have been a time or two. The reason I don't go is our grandkids are with us all year long. Poor Brother Ballesteros has them for about a week. And if I'm there, he won't have them then. So I stay away and let them go see him. My grandkids go visit them. I told you I'm bad. So they do that every Christmas. So for I don't know how many years, Patsy and I have had a tradition at the church. You know, attendance is way down. Christmas weekend. This year it was Christmas Day. And a lot of churches didn't even have church celebrating the birth of Christ. Uh, am I preaching right now? <laughs> no church. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. So every Christmas, I always try to come up with some unique Christmas message. I love seasonal preaching. Man, I love it. I like the challenge of it. And so this year I announced, when I didn't even know what I was going to preach, I announced my title. You got to start somewhere, Brother Gleason. So I just announced the title. Be sure to be here Christmas morning. My wife will do a Christmas concert. And I will preach the Grinch that could not steal Christmas. And I thought, God, how am I going to preach that? All I did was show in the Old Testament how the devil always tried to mess up the bloodline. But in every attempt to mess up the bloodline, somebody came through to preserve it. If he could have messed up the bloodline, he would have stolen Christmas. 
But God's always going to have a way for virtue and victory and truth to come through. And so my, her relatives, my relatives, her brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they'd been, they got married when he was like 15, 16 years old. He's in his 80s. They had been married for how long? Oh, 50 some odd, almost 60 years. They got married as kids. And so her family was denominational. Her dad was a denominational pastor. None of her family for 57 years, her sister-in-law for 57 years had never received the Holy Ghost. 57 years. And most of them had died. But I know she had one sister left, maybe another, but she had one sister left who came to Raleigh to visit her on Christmas. And they said, we're coming to your church. We're bringing my sister-in-law on Christmas Day. 57 years. When I preached the Grinch could not steal Christmas, I turned it evangelistic. And I said, the Grinch has been trying to steal your Christmas. But Christ wants to be born in you in the power of the Holy Ghost. I said, if you'd like to have the Holy Ghost, would you raise your hands? She raised her hands. And in five minutes, after 57 years of praying, she was filled with the Holy Ghost. After 57 years, I've come to tell you, it's late, but it's not too late. Don't let it end that way. Make up your mind, it's not going to end that way. It's going to end like I want it to. It's going to end with them speaking in tongues. It's going to end with them being saved. I think it was three years ago. Two years ago. Come up here, Dennis. This is my nephew, Dennis Landrup. From the time that I married into the Landrup family, Dennis and I have almost been connected at the hip. And when he was just a little boy, at family gatherings, Thanksgiving. He would follow me around like a little puppy. See what do. If I went outside, Dennis went outside. Wherever I sat at the table, Dennis sat beside me. There was a magnetism about preach and anointing that brought us together. When we went to Raleigh, he came out after we were there about a year. He was my assistant. And then he got to preaching so good, I said, one of us got to go, and I've been here the longest. <laughs> and so we preached together. We fasted together. We prayed together. We hunted together. We debated each other. One of us would be on one side of the issue, and the other be on the other. We were sharpening our swords. Back then, it was, it was get it on. You had to be ready to defend the faith. That's kind of boring these days. We got it easy now. And so, he is like a son that my wife and I never had. He lived with us. I would be away preaching. And I said, Dennis, you've got to do the radio broadcast. 
I used to do three radio broadcasts back years ago. And I said, now, right or wrong, Dennis, when I'm gone, I don't want the audience to know I'm gone. You must become me. And when you preach, you preach like me, right or wrong. Except he's now better than I am. And so, I was on my way to Tennessee to preach. What month was that? May? April. I was driving in my car headed to preach in April. Dennis is not the very best at calling. I call him a lot more than he calls me. He's a busy man. Busy man. So and let, me, let, me, let me just add this just in passing. For you, you parents that struggle with that kind of stuff, with your grandkids, let, let me give you a principle. Now, this, I'm going to have to live with this the rest of my life because every time I quote my wife, she wants me to pay her. <laughs> and every time I preach, she's going to remind me of this one point. She taught me this lesson, and you need to learn it. Love always flows down. It will never come up from your children or grandchildren as strong as it flows down from you. Can I get a witness? You don't believe that? When they go on vacation, I'm thinking about them every day. Can I call them? No, don't leave them alone. I want to know what they're doing. I tried to get Anna to come hear me preach tonight, and she's over there. She said, I'll hear you when you get home, you know. (laughs) But those kids are over there. Love always flows. It just don't come back this way as strong. So I call him. I call him. So I'm riding down the road. And Dennis calls me. Whoa! I'm thrilled. I say, hey, Dennis. How you doing? And I was totally taken off guard. He said, Uncle Wayne, I'm in trouble. Dennis, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? He said, I, I, was, I, I was turkey hunting in Kansas with a bow, and, and I just walked out of the woods, and I realized one of my arrows was not in my quiver, and I turned around to go back to get it. And he didn't see it, and it was standing up in weeds. Which leg is it? And the broad head went through the back of his leg and was almost breaking the skin on the other side. And he said, I tried to crawl to get back to the truck, and I can't crawl. I can't move. And he said, I put a tourniquet on it, but I can't stop the bleeding. I'm afraid I've cut a major artery. And he said... Uncle Wayne, I'm not going to make it. My boot is full of blood right now, and I can't stop the bleeding. And I'm in the middle of nowhere. And he said, I've already called Christine, and I left her a goodbye message. He said, because I know I'm not going to get out of here. And he said, I didn't want to die without telling you. Thank you for everything you've ever done for me. And I love you. When he said that, 
I went crazy. I screamed. He said, I've called Mike, the guy that was hunting with him, three or four times. He won't answer his phone. I don't know. I can't get up with him. He's my only hope. And I can't get him to answer his phone. I don't know where he is. He won't answer the phone. And the blood is pouring. And I just went into a Holy Ghost panic mode. And I screamed. No, Dennis. No. This is not going to happen. In the name of Jesus, I will not let you die out in those woods. It will not take place. I say in the name of the Lord, it is not going to happen. It's not going to end like this. I'm not going to let your life end like this. I said, Dennis, hang up. I'm fixing to pray. Because it's not going to end like this. I said, you call Mike one more time. And I'm going to call you right back. I gave him just a few minutes. And I called back. And he said, look away. Mike answered his phone. He'll be here in two minutes. And I'm headed to the hospital. I made up my mind. It ain't going to end like this. You need to make up your mind tonight. Some things are just not going to happen. I'm not going to stand by and watch this happen. I'm not going to stand by and watch my kids be lost. I'm not going to stand by and watch my church be destroyed. I'm not going to stand by and watch me lose my marriage or lose my ministry. It cannot happen. I will not let it happen. He's in Carthage, Texas, having a revival that church has never known. Baptized 120 last year in a city that has 7,000 population. You need to raise your hands right now and shout, it came in like this. Turn around, lay your hands on somebody and say, it came in like this. when my son backslidden it came in when my daughter lost it came in with me depressed it came in with me discouraged it's got to end with me talking in tongues it's got to end with me shouting the victory it's got to end with me praising God We are moments from this meeting being history. You've got one minute and we're going to count it down.
Is this the way you want this to end? 50 seconds. 47 seconds. 45 seconds. 42 seconds. Have you gotten everything you wanted to get it because of the time? Have you received what you wanted from God? And because of the times? 30 seconds. 29 seconds. 27 seconds. Tell somebody, lay your hands on my head. I haven't received it yet. Lay your hands on my head. I haven't received it yet. Lay your hands on my head.